Hey, this is Nick here. I wanted to send a quick message to the founders out there. If you're raising your first round of capital and you're not located in the Bay Area, New York City, or Boston, we'd love to connect with you. Newstack leads deals for founders that don't fit the standard Silicon Valley profile and are located in undercapitalized areas. If that describes you, or if you know a startup that fits that description, please send us an email. It's team at newstack.vc. Now here's a word from our partners. This episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western is the leading provider of venture debt and banking services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors. Go to pacwest.com to learn more. Welcome to the podcast about investing in startups, where existing investors can learn how to get the best deal possible. And those that have never before invested in startups can learn the keys to success from the venture experts. Your host is Nick Moran, and this is The Full Ratchet. On this special investor story segment, the experts illustrate some of the most important lessons they've learned about startup investing and how that has changed their approach. Here's the segment called Lessons Learned. Today, Jonathan Trieste and Brett Demaray join us from Detroit, Michigan. Guys, what's one of the more important lessons you've learned through your experiences in startup investing? Always, always, always be honest. Um, one of my biggest pet peeves, and I don't know, I, I don't want to speak for Brett, but I think it's gross when uh, people just lie and talk about things that are, when, when, when they pretend to know something that they don't specifically uh, I love and I find it very refreshing when founders say that they don't know something and that they'll, um, they'll look into it. Uh, it makes me trust them a thousand times more. That's yeah. Ditto. 1000%. Um, and then also I think in both in startups and venture capital, um, or really anything you're trying to accomplish that's, that's hard is you have to like get very accustomed to riding the roller coaster. Um, you know, as a founder that you can go from really low to really high very quickly. Um, and I think the same thing for VCs where, you know, companies seem like they're tracking in the right direction and then they hit a bump and things don't look so good. And, and being able to kind of regulate and stay in the middle, not get too high, not get too low, I think is important to be able to operate effectively. That's a good point. I mean, and, the, and I think it, I mean, I can relate to that too. I mean, early on, I'd have a lot of people saying very nice things about what we're building here at Lolo and then other people who were making suggestions that it's not going anywhere. And it, they, they both affected me a lot. You know, I would feel very good when people would say nice things. And I would feel very uh, upset when people would say negative things. And I think the truth is, is to, like Brett said, just have a healthy barometer, realize that most fringes, most sides, whether they're positive or negative, don't really have a very good idea of what you're doing anyway and just uh, stay the course. On today's special segment, we have Leo Polovitz of Cease Ventures. Leo, have you made an investment that didn't work out, which has caused you to adapt or improve your approach? If so, what did you learn and how has it changed what you invest in? So this is a little bit cliche um, because I think other investors have said the same thing. Uh, and I'm not going to name names, but I, either I or my fund have made a few investments where we really loved the idea and thought the founder was pretty good, but not amazing. 
Um, and generally those haven't done as well as the ones where we thought the founders are amazing and the idea was pretty good. And I, I think what I've learned, you know, I, I've heard other people talk about this, but it didn't really sink in until I, you know, kind of did this myself. But what I learned is that a lot of times great founders can navigate through figuring out a better business model or figuring out a better product. But I think if you start with a great product and like a, a good but not great founder, whenever you run into stumbling blocks, that founder is less likely to get over them. Do you think about the path to Series A and sort of the, that interim milestone to Series A for the startup? Or are you thinking more long-term, big picture, this should be a, a billion-dollar company that's IPOing in, in the next, I don't know, five to ten years? I think we try to look, well, we try to look at both because I think what we're interested in is the big picture, um, which is, you know, we, for, for our fund to work, we, we definitely want at least a few investments that get to that, you know, IPO stage, billion dollar stage, whatever, like the magic number is. But that said, like, no matter how great the long-term vision, if there's not a good concrete plan from getting, you know, from step one to step two or from C to series A, then it's not really going to matter. So I think we look both for a good long-term potential, but then also a good realistic path for the next you know, 15, 18 months that'll get the founder to a stage where they can raise more capital and take things to the next level. You and I have talked a little bit about process and filtering, and you've helped me out with some, some input on that. But part of the analysis that, that I went through at one point, with a lot of these early-stage angel investments, most of them don't even get to a Series A, and so the first thing I did was I looked for all the reasons why companies weren't making it to Series A and talking to investors in town. And I would say nine times out of ten, it was, it was a people issue. There's definitely an, an array and there's a distribution of issues, but nine times out of ten, the reason they're not getting to an A or, or a B is, is a, a people issue. Do you mean that, like, uh, you know, founders were leaving or something like that? Or more like the investors didn't like the founders? For a range of reasons. So either the team didn't have the domain expertise in the market to effectively understand it and the challenges they were going to face. They didn't have the network and the access to be able to get in with enterprise clients that they were planning to or promising during their pitch. They didn't have the hustle or the passion around the idea itself to see it through with the same vigor and the same time commitment that they had early on. Even in some cases, I've heard about founders with families that at the seed stage, they were totally comfortable and fine with taking a low salary. And then ultimately, it didn't work out for personal reasons. And they had to close up shop and and go back to a, a pay grade that they could comfortably be paid from a larger, more established player with benefits. And so just a variety of uh, team and personal issues that maybe didn't have to do with the viability of the value proposition um, or the viability of the idea, but maybe the viability of the, the people driving the idea forward. That's interesting. Yeah, one, one of the things I really like is I feel like over the last you know, three to five years, there's been much more like transparency and much more available content on why startups fail. Like there are a lot of how-tos, but there, now there are also a lot more like how-not-tos. Mm. And I think reading those is, is often very eye-opening and educational. Mm-hmm. 
At this point, if you're a VC, you've heard of Carta. You've probably even accepted securities from a portfolio company on the platform. It feels like every new company is using Carta, and there's already 16,000 VC-backed companies on the platform. They also offer tools and services for VCs like fund administration. Carta has an army of fund accountants delivering high-quality service and dedicated teams of engineers constantly improving the functionality of their user-friendly investor platform with in-app quarterly reporting, real-time fund metrics, LP portals, and more. It's also easy to switch from an existing fund administrator or to augment your in-house team with their service. Learn more about their services at carta.com forward slash investors. In this episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western specializes in providing financial services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors, helping to navigate financial obstacles by providing access to funds and expertise. Pacific Western's customized products and team of venture banking specialists provides a banking experience designed specifically with startups and VCs in mind. If you run a tech company or if you invest in tech companies, it's strongly advisable that you build a relationship with the folks at Pacific Western. Go to pacwest.com to learn more. On today's special segment, we have David S. Rose. David, have you made an investment that didn't work out, which has caused you to adapt or improve your approach? If so, what did you learn, and how has it changed what you invest in? Um, yeah, there are, you know, sadder and wiser. Every lesson that didn't work out is a lesson you try and improve the next time and don't do it, right? Yeah. So. I had uh, one investment where it was a pair of co-founders who would uh, each put in a couple hundred thousand bucks and they were best of breed and really amazing kind of guys. And uh, three months after we invested, the technical co-founder, the CTO who had brought the uh, the whole tech team with him and put in heck, you know, 200,000 bucks of his own money, said, oh, you know what? My stock in my previous company invested. I'm having a kid. I'm going to build a house. So I'm leaving. We said, what? And so literally he just walked out of the company leaving his partner, who was the non-techie, completely hanging. You know, the, the engineering staff effectively left with, without the, the leader there. You know, they left. Yeah, um, and the company fell on hard times. And so, you know, that's one of those intangibles. How do you figure out is it's got to walk away, right? But ever since then, I've been very, very wary and, and looking for that commitment question, or, you know, how long are you in for? So that's, that's one thing. But the, the interesting one that's a, that led to a direct change, um, had to do with convertible notes <laughs> and the structure of deals. And I discussed this a little bit in, in my book, but essentially we had a company which was a, a very interesting company and it started out, we did the first round um, on, a, on a price note, which was no problem. We converted it to a, an equity round at a fixed price, which was great. And then the company was going really growing rapidly. So we did a another bridge note, a convertible note as a bridge to hopefully what will be a venture round. But then the company got was really began to pick up steam and got really, really fast, got really, really big, and managed to get some venture debt in. So it didn't actually need another equity round. So now it got in venture debt and it used that to get very, very big. Um, and so here's a company that started out, we invested at a million or two or something um, early on. It was now at the point where if it was going to do a round, a round would clearly be the tens of millions of dollars, which you would say that would be no problem, right? Okay. Well, so it, it ended up doing a, uh, a round because it, it, they realized that because of the convertible note converted into the next round, they get all the advantages of that round. So they had better convert it right up front. They converted the note to uh, into a, an equity round, and then right after that, 
the bottom fell out of the market. <laughs> the company, you know, no, almost, no. almost crashed and burned. But eventually it found an acquirer. And the acquirer came in at a, you know, more than the initial valuation, but less than, much less than the, the uh, sky high last one, right? So you'd say, okay, well, you know, because of liquidation preferences, the last guys get their money out and everybody else gets money out along the way. But no, that's not what actually happened. What, are we, what we learned here was it turned out because the second, if you remember the, the sequencing of the notes here, the second note, the one that was outstanding, eventually converted you know, several years later, had invested at a very low cap, which was not a problem, converted into a round, a price round at a high number. So they, they get the, the benefit of the, of the valuation difference. That's fine. No problem. Yeah, sure. But the problem was they got the same uh, stock as the priced big round, right? And so that meant they got the same liquidation preference as the priced big round. Yes, which, yes. I've read about you and uh, Mark Susser had a conversation about this, I think. It was about 20x, right, the cash they had put in. So the liquidation preference, so when, at the end of the day, when the, uh, all the dust settled on, on this round, there was zero correlation between when you invested and what valuation you invested <laughs> in and how much you walked away with. Because the last guys got out the liquidation preference, they came out even, right? The guys in the first round, the price round, got the liquidation preference. And the guys in the middle who happened to just hit in that convertible note that got converted at the big number walked away with like a 510 <laughs> number over there. Better to be it lucky was, than good, huh? It was such an insane outcome that everybody looked around and said, how the hell did this possibly happen? <laughs> and, and, and ever since, and because it was no, there was no bad faith on anybody's part, it was just the way the docs worked. And that was why ever since that deal, every one of our term sheets, our convertible note term sheets, and actually the convertible note term sheet that I have in the book Angel Investing, makes it very clear that you will convert not into the equity of the next round, but into the equity of the next round, similar in all respects, except for the liquidation preference, which is the price you actually paid. So, right, right. So that has changed the way we have forever done convertible notes since then to make it rational. And that's what we learned. Talk about unintended consequences. Yep. <laughs> that will wrap up this installment of Investor Stories. Head over to thefullratchet.net to leave a comment, sign up for the newsletter, or find resources discussed on any of the episodes. Until next time, remember to over-prepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>